coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now your host, Mike Florio. June 26th edition of PFT PM. No vacation. Kind of vacation. A little more relaxed. Less output. Not up at 5.15. Slept till 8.30 today. Of course, I was up till 2, but still. A lot of nights I'm up till 2 anyway and up at 5.15. I know. Poor you. Poor you. We got some things to talk about today. I got some things that are bothering me. One thing in particular, Dom Cosentino of Deadspin.com, he's not bothering me. The helmet rule's bothering me. The helmet rule has bothered me from the moment I first became aware of it. We were in Orlando for the league meetings. It was Tuesday. We had just finished our show, maybe within an hour, hour and a half after the show ended. Word came that the NFL had a new rule regarding lowering of the helmet. And I thought, wait a minute. I thought I was familiar with all of the various proposed rule changes. There were 10 of them from the competition committee. Where did this come from? How did it go from being off the books altogether to a final rule? Well, it turns out that, as we now know, the competition committee slipped an extra rule proposal into the list, preventing the media from chiming in, preventing anyone from raising any concerns, asking any questions, seeking clarification. Because what happens is the week before the league meetings, there is a conference call during which time people in the media have a chance to ask questions about the proposed rule changes. And given what we've learned in the three months since this new helmet rule first debuted, it wouldn't have gone well. The representatives of the competition committee would not have held up well under questioning, Hendry, because they don't know what the hell the rule is. Or at least that's what they say. They're all over the place. And I've interviewed coaches, members of the competition committee, Troy Vincent. Everyone acts like this is being overblown. Meanwhile, the rule is hiding in plain sight in a way that could wreak havoc on the game, that could change the game as we know it, that could make moot the three-point stance. And anytime I ask someone about that, oh, no, that's oh, no, three-point stance isn't going anywhere. Sean Payton, member of the competition committee, good friend of the program, comes on anytime we ask him. I asked him, what does this mean for the three-point stance? Is the three-point stance going away? He said it's not going away any time in our lifetimes. Well, I hope he has a proper estimate of our lifetime. Because as written, as codified, this new rule dramatically changes football, potentially, if it's enforced as written. And this is one of the beefs I have about the NFL, and I raise this from time to time. And this probably comes from the fact that I practice law. I, I know, every time I say that, there are some of you who say, we know, we know. But there may be one person who doesn't know, somebody who just discovered PFT, just discovered PFTPM, just joined the PFTPM posse, and that person may be thinking, why the hell should I listen to this guy when it comes to anything related to the law? He's just some hack who's talking about and writing about football. So that's why I do it. That's my official position. Anyway, I have a problem with rules that aren't reflective of reality. Why have a rule that isn't going to be enforced exactly as it's written? Why have that? And if you're 
If you're going to have a rule, either enforce it or change it to mesh with the way you want to enforce it. Now, here's how this new rule, this new helmet rule was codified. The way it was originally presented, the NFL has prohibited lowering the helmet to initiate contact. Generally, broadly, and everything that that implies. It's not crown of the helmet anymore. And I know people like Mike Pereira, former NFL VP of officiating now with Fox, good friend of the program as well. He has tried to draw the parallel between this new helmet rule and the crown of the helmet rule saying, well, you know, the crown of the helmet rule ended up being nothing. Players altered their behavior quickly. There haven't been many fouls called, few fines. Well, that's a very specific maneuver. That is when the player goes essentially horizontal and rams the very top of the helmet into an opponent outside of the tackle box. So inside of the tackle box, it doesn't matter. And I recall at one point, somebody was flagged when they shouldn't have been flagged because it happened in the tackle box or that question has come up. But when it's in the tackle box under this crown of the helmet rule, it wasn't an issue. Now, it doesn't matter if you're in the tackle box, out of the tackle box, and it's not just lowering and going horizontal, basically the front side limbo into an opponent, like a battering ram, which I remember when they passed that rule, it's like, I thought there was a rule against spearing anyway. And there is. There is. And that brings us to the way the NFL has tweaked the rule book to address this new rule. Unnecessary roughness is what this maneuver will be characterized as and what they did they took item i number nine there were 10 specific ways to have and still are 10 specific ways to have unnecessary roughness happen item i used to read as follows it's unnecessary roughness if a player uses any part of a player's helmet or face mask to butt spear or ram an opponent violently or unnecessarily that's the old rule And you could argue, based upon the examples we've seen of what will require an ejection, that rule's good as written. Any part of a player's helmet or face mask to butt, spear, or ram an opponent violently or unnecessarily. That's a pretty good standard to get someone ejected because the videos they show us, someone is using part of the helmet to butt, spear, or ram an opponent violently or unnecessarily. So... Remember, it's more than just ejection. There's going to be ejection and, separate from ejection, a 15-yard penalty. Or, or as Mike Pereira said recently on PFT Live, there won't be many flags thrown. Players will be fined after the fact, which I don't like because there has to be a consequence for the coaches in real time or the coaches will continue to coach the unsafe technique because they don't care if the player gets fined. If they're not getting 15 yards of field position counted against them, who cares if the player gets fined? I'm sure plenty of coaches have that attitude. They just want to win games. So here's the new language. The player is prohibited from using any part of a player's helmet to butt, spear, or ram an opponent, period. The words violently or unnecessarily have been removed. Now, let's think about this for a second, just from a common sense standpoint. The rule in question is unnecessary roughness. So now, by removing the words violently or unnecessarily from this prior rule and prohibiting any butting, ramming, or spearing of an opponent, even if it is not violent 
or even if it is somehow necessary, how is that unnecessary roughness? So you can have a necessary and non-rough application of the helmet, butting, spearing, ramming, and that's unnecessary roughness. It doesn't make any sense to do it that way. It's only going to confuse people. And I guess what they're saying is, in all fairness, or at least in some fairness to the NFL, that any butting, ramming, or spearing is, by definition, violent and unnecessary. That's the philosophical decision that they've made here. It is, by definition, unnecessary roughness anytime you butt, spear, or ram. Even if it's done inadvertently, unintentionally, gently, Now, surely it won't be enforced that broadly. But if it's not, that means there's going to be too much discretion. That means you're going to have arbitrary outcomes. You're going to have a play where somebody goes 50 yards for a touchdown and the touchdown stands, there was no flag, and you can see away from the action, there was butting, spearing, or ramming. But no flag. And then another play, 50-yard touchdown, comes back with 15 yards of field position tacked on. Because there was butting, spearing, or ramming away from the play. See, I don't like any rule that creates more discretion, more potential for arbitrary outcomes, especially with gambling coming. Gambling is coming. Is the NFL trying in some weird sort of way to sabotage gambling by making fans say, why in the hell would we want to risk our money on something so damn arbitrary? I doubt it. Because I think the NFL has been falsely huffing and puffing about gambling anyway. They feel like they have to. They being the league office. The owners realize there's a ton of money to be made. So, I just don't like this rule. I don't like anything about it. I don't like how they hit it. I don't like how they've explained it. I don't like how they keep acting like it's not going to be a fundamental change. I don't like the misdirections. I don't like the way it's been codified. I don't like anything about it. Oh, you don't like anything at all, do you? Well, no, I don't. But I've never been this aggressive about an NFL rule. This bothers me because, and I'm thinking of the best interest of the NFL here, and I understand that they feel compelled to save youth football. And based upon other things I heard while we were in Orlando, I had someone, and I've said this before, The Monday night when they have the cocktail party and they have a lot of great food and you get to talk to a lot of people. Someone who I won't name, even though I don't think the person will be upset if I said so. That person said to me, something needs to be done about youth football participation. It is at critical lows. And lo and behold, the next morning, here comes this rule. Because see, the NFL thinks that it needs to create clear examples of safe football Regardless of whether or not the rule changes trickle down, this isn't about as much trickling down as it is ensuring that what mom and dad and Jimmy and Joey watch on TV isn't so violent that mom says, you're never playing football. See, that's what they're fighting against. This irrational belief that playing youth football necessarily results in players getting hit the same way NFL players get hit. It's the big disconnect. The point MDS made very eloquently when he was on PFT Live talking about karate. 
You take your kid to karate class, you know he's not going to get kicked in the face. You dial up a UFC pay-per-view event, you want to see people kick each other in the face. And they do it voluntarily, assuming all the risks and understanding that if you get kicked in the face enough times, you're going to have some long-term health consequences. The media doesn't swarm around that, though, because it's not as big as football. Football's become the pincushion. Football avoided the PED pincushion that became baseball. Football's become the head trauma pincushion. So the NFL feels compelled to make its sport seem safer, even if it alienates fans. And I'm telling you, here's why I'm saying this. There's a balance that they have to strike here. You can't just keep making football safer, 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 safer to the point where it fundamentally alters the way that it looks. And I've said all along, as long as the NFL doesn't make such a dramatic change that what we see through our flat screens at home looks dramatically different, that's fine. But if this becomes glorified two-hand touch, walkthroughs, with limited tackling, with limited roughness of any kind, unnecessary or otherwise... What are people going to do? If all of a sudden you tune into a game and the way that you've seen the five linemen on the offensive side of the ball and the four or three or five or however many linemen on the defensive side of the ball line up, if that just looks dramatically different, does that affect your enjoyment of the game? I remember back in 2000 when they came out with the funky new Revolution helmet from Riddell. And it had that weird face mask that looked like it was the product of a five-year-old screwing around with a soldering iron. I thought, man, this is this is ugly. I have to look at this. This affects my enjoyment of the game. I don't want to look at that ugly-ass helmet. That is an ugly-ass helmet. Remember, Peyton Manning was the first one to prominently wear it. It's like, this thing is just, God, I, I got to look at this on close-ups? I don't like it. And I remember when they changed the rules to allow receivers to wear numbers between 10 and 19. I didn't like that. Receivers should wear numbers in the 80s. You're used to seeing that. Now all of a sudden they're going to wear these other numbers and screw up everybody's screw up everybody's perception of what position these guys play. I didn't like it. Was it reasonable? No, but I didn't like it. That's my point. Somebody's going to tune into these games now. If the game is fundamentally different, they're not going to like it. They're not going to like what they see if the three-point stance goes the way of the dodo bird. So that's what the NFL needs to be concerned about. I think the NFL is unnecessarily obsessed with youth youth football participation because I still think there's going to be enough players. Between high school and college, there will be enough participants in football to allow football to thrive. I don't think football is going anywhere. But the NFL, seemingly desperate, sufficiently desperate to salvage youth football and maybe arrogant about the likelihood or lack thereof of a true competitor emerging. But I'll tell you what, at some point, they change the game enough. Somebody's going to say, I got a billion, billion five that I can invest in this endeavor. We're going to take on the NFL. And we are going to capture... That same market share that is upset about players kneeling for the national anthem. I would say that, and I don't want to unfairly generalize, but my guess would be the same people who get upset when the players don't stand for the anthem are the ones who would most zealously crave old school football the way it used to be. Hit hard. 
knock them hard. Because really, the, the leader of the band, the Pied Piper, who has been banging the drum as it relates to the anthem issue, that same politician has had public comments about football not being like it used to be. Not as rough and tumble as it used to be. Too many penalties. It's too soft. Remember we used to hear that phrase all the time, the wussific- it's the wussification of America. And I used to say, will you please let me know when we're finally completely wussified? See, now that's out the window because everybody kind of gets to be the opposite of a wuss. You get to be tough. You get to say all sorts of coarse things because political correctness is a bad thing. It's Yeah, it's bad. It's bad to think of how other people may react to our words. That's a bad thing. Anyway, stick to football, dumbass. That's me advising myself. I'm not calling you a dumbass. I'm suggesting some of you may think I'm a dumbass, but hey, as long as you listen, I don't care. You can think I'm a dumbass. I'll gladly be a dumbass if you listen to the podcast. If you're entertained by listening to a dumbass every day, good. All right, that's the thing I'm most pissed off about. What else is going on? Tony Romo says the Packers improved more than any other team this offseason. I mean, they, they've actually used free agency for a change. And if they have Aaron Rodgers for all 16 games, they're necessarily better. I'll probably end up picking the Packers and the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, or not win it, to be in it. One of them would win it. One of them would not. MVP odds have been revised. There's Aaron Rodgers. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. Chris Sims' favorite football player of all time, 13-2. to Tom Brady, 7-1. to Carson Wentz, 19-2. to I like these full-season odds. I like it so much better than one game at a time. How about Deshaun Watson at 20-1? to He stays healthy? Interesting. The whole odds are posted at PFT. Andy Dalton at 100-1. I know that we're fascinated by those triple digit to one bets. I wouldn't. Tyrod Taylor, 125 to one. I wouldn't. Sam Bradford, 125 to one. No. Gronk, 100 to one. See, the problem is with pass catchers. If a pass catcher puts together the kind of season that would get him in consideration for MVP, the guy who threw the passes most likely will have an even better case, right? That's why no receiver's ever been MVP. Because there's always a quarterback feeding that receiver the football. Some interesting names on here. Joe Flacco, 75 to 1. Don't bet that one. Alex Smith, 60 to 1. I mean, there's mainly names on here that I wouldn't bet. I like Patrick Mahomes at 55 to 1. Oh, I like that a lot. I think that I would be inclined... I guess for my entertainment purposes only, you can use this for what you will. If you want to, now I can say that. I don't feel, you know, I don't feel compelled to say for entertainment purposes only because if you're in a state where you can bet, then have at it. I kind of like Deshaun Watson 20 to 1. I kind of like Jared Goff a little at 22 to 1, depending upon how things go. I don't like Derek Carr at 28 to 1. I don't like Andrew Luck at 30 to 1. I don't like Dak Prescott at 30 to 1. I don't like a lot of these. I think Todd Gurley at 40 to 1 may be a good bet. Remember Antonio Brown got some buzz last year? 
But again, if he would have a big year, how does Ben Roethlisberger not win the thing? Ezekiel Elliott, 50 to 1, that may not be bad. I think he could come back and have a big year. Fascinating numbers. And bets that I'm very intrigued by. What else is going on today? I love the story about Jeff Hostetler hitting Bill Belichick with a crossing route back in 1984. I think Tom Brady may be tempted to do that. Oops, sorry, coach. Slipped. Gene Steratore, officially with CBS, also will be a college basketball rules, rules analyst. I continue to be convinced that the guys who left realized, now this is more Steratore and Terry McCauley, they realized, you know what, we're going to get squeezed to go full-time. We're going to have to give up our regular gigs. This is a way that we can still keep our side jobs and have the platform, maybe even a greater profile than they had, and maybe even make more money than what the NFL was paying them to be on TV. I don't think this continues. I just think every time one of the networks has an opening now, potentially a referee is going to retire. So, Steratore officially with CBS. NBC has not announced Terry McCauley. I can neither confirm nor deny that one. Jeff Triplett to ESPN. And, of course, Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino still at Fox. Mark Garrigus, four weeks after he said a dramatic turn is about to come in the Colin Kaepernick collusion grievance that someone was going to, quote, dime out, end quote, the NFL. Garrigus said that something is coming this week. I will just say stay tuned that next week there will be news on Cap and on Eric Reed. That's all I can say right now. I'm going to say as you're listening to this, there will be news next week. Now, is this the dramatic turn that was about to happen? Four weeks later... I think I don't know what the the expiration date on about to happen is, but I don't think a month counts, especially in this day and age, as about to happen. So I don't know what was going to happen. I don't know why it didn't happen, and I don't know whether it's going to happen this week. And that's pretty much everything that's happening in the National Football League as we work our way through the slow time. There's still a lot out there, though. There's still a decent number of items and one item that remains wide open the Jameis Winston case will he be suspended when will we know if he is suspended and what will the Buccaneers do if the reaction to the specific suspension letter is strong enough to get the Buccaneers to at least consider their options Somebody made the point earlier today. I think I was on the score in Chicago. If Jameis Winston had gone through all the things that he went through in college, post-Me Too movement, would he have ever been the number one overall pick in the draft? I don't think he would have been. So how much sticks to him now? And how much gets dredged up from the past? And I think the catalyst will be, or won't be, what's in the letter that the NFL sends to Jameis Winston. And I wouldn't be shocked if the end result, if there's a negotiated compromise between Jameis Winston and the NFL, that he takes a three-game suspension, he doesn't appeal and expose the Keystone Cop slash kangaroo court routine like Ezekiel Elliott did last year. If he just takes the three games and moves on, does part of his benefit become there won't be a letter? It'll just be announced as Jameis Winston and the NFL agreeing to 
this this three-game suspension because the contents of that letter, that could be the thing that starts a brush fire that gets Jameis Winston out of Tampa Bay, depending upon how people react to it. All right, time to answer your questions. Appreciate you all taking time to come up with questions. Again, I know it's a slow time. I know you're doing other things. Enjoy the summer. Don't wish the summer away. I haven't seen a lot of those yet. Only X number of weeks. I, I see them primarily from official team accounts. And maybe the workers are just bored. But I really hate the idea of wishing away the remainder of the summer just to get football season. Everyone should have a great summer and enjoy every day. Enjoy every moment of every day. Make it productive. And then football will be there. During the time of year where, you know, things otherwise get kind of dreary and the leaves fall off the trees. and You know, enjoy this time. Be with your families. Read a book. Find a hobby. Get an old car and fix it up. Do something. Just enjoy yourself in the summertime. Free advice. Guaranteed to get your money's worth. Free answers to questions. Guaranteed to get your money's worth. The C.J. Newman. Mike, your kid is right. Maybe give some other guys a chance to get their questions read besides the PFTPM Posse account. That was an observation my son made the other day because I follow the PFTPM Posse account. Those are the ones that pop up first. Alex pointed that out. By the way, Alex will be back on Friday. I said to him, hey, you want to come on today? Nah, I'll wait for Friday. All right, fine. Screw you. I didn't want to sit down and spend an hour with you either. I did. He just didn't want to. He didn't want to spend it with me. He wanted to go work out. That's fine. Now he's playing with the dog. That's fun. We'll have him on Friday. PFTPM Posse. To be fair to the Posse, the vast majority of the questions asked from this account are gathered from the greater Posse. Any question that somebody wants asked is asked if they DM the handle. Okay, this is this is going back and forth. They're having a, a whole conversation here. Are there any questions, CJ Newman or PFTPM Posse? Here we go. Do you really think the new VP of PR for the NFL will bring the focus back to the game? Or because they placed another political person in that spot, do you see them continuing to be more polarizing and political? I think that the new PR executive, Jocelyn Moore, will use her political background to find a way to get politics out of football. And I think part of it will be squeezing media partners to get back to the game. Let's get back to the game. I'd love it if the NFL said, you know what, it's our fault that we're talking about the national anthem because we screwed the pooch nine years ago when we decided to make players props in our effort to wrap the shield in the flag. And then we clumsily drafted a policy that allows them to not stand for the national anthem. And then when Colin Kaepernick wasn't standing for the national anthem, we stupidly said players are encouraged but not required to stand that we should have at that point did what the NBA did and went straight to the bargaining table with the NFL Players Association and got an agreement that all players will stand. Now, two years later, the players understand the value of what they'd be giving up if there ever was an agreement to that effect. I don't know how Jocelyn Moore makes that go away. And just because somebody has extensive political experience doesn't mean that that person isn't suited to handle the NFL job. That's not my point. But it does suggest a certain approach that political operatives behave a certain way, that win-win is harder to come up with. I have to win and you have to lose, and that's the only way I win. I can't win unless you lose. That's how politics go. And I hope that Jocelyn Moore has evolved past that 
during her time with the NFL. And I hope that she didn't have anything to do with the new anthem policy or this Lorraine Duvernay-Tardif rule, decision, whatever, to not let him put MD on the back of the jersey. Those aren't very good decisions. But she was already working for the NFL, so I assume that, number one, if she's working for the NFL, and number two, if they think enough of her to make her the new executive in charge of PR, unless she was out there saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and they did it, and they realized to hire the person who said, I told you so, that means her fingerprints are all over those decisions, and that doesn't bode well. But I don't know that at this point. Well, why don't you find out? Oh, maybe I will. All right, what else do we have? PFTPM Posse, could the best way for innocent players to work the personal conduct policy be not reporting accusations against themselves to the team in the league so they hopefully get a short suspension for failure to report rather than six plus or minus games for violence like Ezekiel Elliott did. Now, this assumes that it's true that Jameis Winston is getting a three-game suspension for failure to report. I've seen multiple reports suggesting that that is how we say cookie talk, that that was, and I tend to think that this is the way it went. They leaked the news to a favorable media personality in Tallahassee who put out there the three-game suspension, and it would be for failure to report. That takes some of the sting out of the idea that Jameis Winston is going to be found guilty by the league of committing some sort of action, unsavory action, with an Uber driver that resulted in the suspension. So I I still think that human nature and or logic and common sense would suggest that the best, best move is to not report it and just deal with the consequences later if it does come to the attention of the league. But if you're not sued, if you're not arrested, and if you're not confident the league is going to treat you fairly, why would you want to raise your hand? Why would you want to after what happened to Ezekiel Elliott? And if in this case, Winston gets three games, not for failing to report, but for the underlying behavior, then the the lesson to all players is don't report it. If they find out about it, you'll still get the punishment you would have gotten. Until then, keep your mouth shut. PFTP and Posse via Man of Water 3615. Any updates on the Kaepernick and Reed case? Also, do I think a 2020 lockout will last long or will the players cave in like they always do? Does D. Smith make it to that negotiation or do they get someone else? I think the way they've got these bylaws set up now, D. Smith has that job as long as he wants it because there's no longer an open election process. The players decide seven, eight months before the contract expires, whether or not to keep the executive director. And they decided that. Remember when Cyrus Mary was talking about trying to run? The new bylaws approved by the players make it a lot easier for the executive director to avoid that cluster that they had several years ago when like nine or ten guys ran. They just The players don't want to deal with that. If the players aren't happy with the executive director, then they'll go out and find a candidate or two to run against him, and that's that. But they're not going to just let it be open to anybody who wants to just stir things up. Any member of the board of player representatives who wants to put a name out there, that's all it takes to get on the ballot. So I think D. Smith is safe. And I don't know what's going to happen after the 2020 season. See, a lockout happened in 2011 as the culmination 
of a CBA termination that the owners called for on an early basis because they hated the 2006 CBA. They hated it. As soon as the dust settled on it and they realized everything they'd agreed to, they hated it. And they opted out as soon as they could. And that's what culminated in the lockout. And the owners held firm until they got what they wanted financially. This time around, I haven't heard any complaints. It's been seven years since the new CBA was finalized. And the owners aren't complaining about it. Now, does that mean they won't lock them out? I mean, if a lockout worked in 2011, maybe it works again. Even if you're happy with your current arrangement, maybe you could be even happier. Players don't want to miss game checks. And until the players are ready to miss game checks, they're never going to be able to get the best deal they can get. And I've said this before. Let me go ahead and say it again, because what the hell? What else are we going to talk about? If the players had sat out all of 2011 and allowed the antitrust lawsuit to go forward that was filed after the union disclaimed interest, the union shut down, making it a non-union workforce. At that point, a lockout of a non-union workforce by 32 companies that no longer have the benefit of the antitrust exemption that happens when you have a multi-employer bargaining unit where you have 32 different businesses that have one workforce that passes between the various businesses. Once that protection goes away, when you lock out the players, you are violating the antitrust laws. With treble damages, it could have been a crippling verdict for the NFL. It could have been an outcome where the players, via the NFLPA, own equity in the teams. That's how bad it could have been. And until the players are ready to do that, until the players are ready to go a year without, it's never going to get to that point. We hear from time to time the possibility of a strike. We've seen strikes before. In 1982, they missed seven games and came back. In 1987, they missed three or four weeks. The NFL hired replacements in 87. And one thing that fascinates me, the possibility of replacement players in the age of fantasy football and soon legalized gambling. How in the world will fans react? Will fans be fascinated by it? You'll have some smart people who figure out ways to make money playing daily fantasy when you bring in the replacements. And you'll have people who figure out how to beat the betting lines when you bring in a bunch of no-names, if that's what happens. So I think that they'll get this worked out. Ultimately, I think that the players aren't willing to give up game checks, which is going to make it very difficult for players to get the best possible deal they can. So instead, they just get the best deal they can with the acknowledgement that if they're not willing to give up game checks, there's only so good of a deal they can get. Anytime anybody complains about the current deal that the players have, and they try to blame it on D. Smith, the point I try to make is, this isn't on D. Smith if players won't give up game checks. Players don't want to give up game checks. Period. What do they gain from that? Now, the one difference this time around could be that players will justify sitting out a year by saying, well, that's one less year of head trauma, right? We'll just take a year off, let our brains relax for a year, and we'll come back next year. We'll get through this year, we'll stay in shape, and we'll be back next year. The best leverage players would have, though, 
alternate league, set up their own thing. And with gambling, maybe that becomes more viable. You'd have to find a TV partner that has no aspiration to do business with the NFL. But the players already should be thinking about that. That would be fascinating if the players would set up their own games where you'd have the NFL using replacement players and the players playing their own games up against NFL games. What would you watch? If you had the choice of watching a bunch of guys that maybe you heard of at some point because they played for the local college that that is covered in your newspaper versus the stars of the NFL reorganized in and you don't need 32 teams you can do 16 teams you can do 8 teams all the star players the ones willing to to take the risk for what will be probably a lot less money than what they would have made but at least it's something and they get to play football see it's not just giving up the game check these guys want to play you're taking away their ability to play a lot of them aren't going to voluntarily give that up they want the money and they want to be able to play Less money, but you're still able to play. could be fascinating. And they should be planning for that. I would be if I was running the NFLPA. Not that I want. Trust me, I don't want to. PFTPM Posse, is it just me or do you also see the potential for 2018 to look like the 2012 ref lockout with all these new refs and officials they will be breaking in, particularly with the new kickoff and helmet rules. Well, I mean, it could be a mess because there are some significant changes. I think this is one of the reasons why the networks want rules analysts, because they need to explain to the audience, you know, what the hell is going on with the new kickoffs, with the the helmet rule, with the new catch rule. And, And remember when the commissioner said during the officiating lockout that the replacements are just as good, and then we found out three weeks in that that is anything but the case? Yeah, what happens without Gene Steratore and Jeff Triplett? What happens? Do you just flip a switch and fill those spots? Do the people that they hire step up and get it done? Another one from the PFTPM Posse. We know it's a different game, style of play between the CFL and the NFL. However, if Johnny Manziel can't even get on the field in the CFL, why does his head coach think he should be on an NFL team? Is part of Johnny's CFL contract, the team has to talk positively about him. Look, Doug Flutie was a backup when he first went to the CFL, and he ended up becoming the best player in CFL history. Johnny Manziel's still still getting his sea legs. We'll see what happens. Home opener this weekend. We'll see if he gets on the field. But June Jones has said that Johnny Manziel could be the best player in CFL history. So he's going to be ready at some point. The question is when. I think at some point during this season he gets a chance to play. PFTP and Posse, with so many refs moving on from the NFL, do you see them using this chance to install refs that are more easily swayed and persuaded by someone from 345 Park Avenue in their ears during a crucial call? With the way the NFL operates, it seems... They would absolutely do this. I think they already are influenced. I mean, look, anytime your boss is hovering over your shoulder, anytime your boss has, think about that. If you were doing your job and your boss had the ability to speak directly into your eardrum through an IFB, that's the device that has the wire and it snakes up around your ear and it jams into your ear. Your boss can talk to you anytime he wants. Are you going to do what your boss suggests, or are you going to go rogue? 
think if you value your job, you're going to do what the boss suggests. It'll be interesting to see what kind of stories, if any, Gene Steratore, Terry McCauley, Jeff Triplett at Hockey League tell about the one year with Al River on as the head of officiating. PFTPM Posse, could the NFL help grow the game by hosting a World Cup-like competition for countries that aren't the U.S.? Are there enough viable countries that could field teams? You know, from time to time, the NFL does that, and we'll hear things about international football competitions. And, and there was an effort a few years back, I think it's really petered out, though, to get football played in enough countries so that it could become an Olympic event. It really is criminal. It's not an Olympic event. I don't understand all the rules. I think women have to play as well, but I... I think that you could have viable women's football leagues. But this is more of a 100-year plan. But when you consider some of the shit that passes as sport, all due respect, I mean, think about some of this goofy stuff. And this isn't an anti-Olympics thing because I love the Olympics. But I want football in it. Some of this stuff is just goofy, right? Like, how practical is it? How much does anyone follow it? And I know you slap the five rings on it, and it has a different life. But that's one of the things that always strikes me as curious about the Olympics. For three years and 50 weeks, most of these sports we don't pay attention to, and we wouldn't walk across the street to watch them for free. But you call it the Olympics, you tie national pride up into it, and these great stories of kids who have given so much and toiled in anonymity for those three years and 50 weeks all for the opportunity to shine during that two-week window. I just think football should be part of it. And I think some of the sports in the Olympics are like, wait a minute, why? What is this? Why not use sports that people are familiar with? And I understand the United States would destroy whoever shows up to take us on, but who would even be playing in it? It wouldn't be NFL players. They're not going to shut down training camp. And sometimes the... Summer Olympics are in September. It's going to be, it's not going to be college kids. I don't know who it's going to be. People from the AAF and the XFL. We'd still kick the crap out of anybody else who tries to take us on. But I think part of the process of exporting football, NFL football to other countries, you got to get it in the Olympics. I just think they realize it's not something that's going to be easily done. I think they've realized the best way to spread the sport globally is to play globally and hope that enough kids start playing. And see, they got they got enough issues with kids not playing football in America. I think that's kind of taken uh, a front seat to the idea of getting more youth football participation in other countries. So, and again, just to be clear, I am not ripping the Olympics. My, I'm trying to make a point by pointing out that some of the events are just like, why? And if there are events that you look at and you say, why? Why isn't football in there? I think it should be. PFTP and Posse, why aren't there more specialists in the Hall of Fame? Obviously, there are only five spots a year, but guys like Ray Guy, Brian Mitchell, Gary Anderson should really have a spot. Could we see an exemption every few years to add a specialist? I mean, guys do get in. Adam Vinatieri's going to get in. Jan Stenerud's in. Ray Guy's in. Yeah, I think that that enough get in. Because even the best specialists, right? How many of them are true game changers? Vinatieri, yes. Stenerud, yes. Ray Guy, yes. There aren't many others who truly change a game and tilt the field in their direction. 
PFTPM policy with the evolution of how the NFL is being broadcast to include Amazon and Yahoo streams. Will we ever see a time when we can watch the game with our team radio announcers synced up to the broadcast? Listening to Paul Allen during Vikings games would be amazing. I, I don't I don't know. I, I assume at some point the technology would get to the point where it all gets properly synced up. And the latency issue, I think, will be driven away by gambling because eventually they're going to want people to sit on their couch and punch the button at the right time and and bet and not have a 10-second, 15-second delay. You don't want to cut down the window of opportunity for someone to bet on the next play if there is micro-type betting. That change in technology, I think, would then potentially lead to a point where you can pick the audio to go along with the video. Paul PJ5, you always say the NFL awards show is poorly timed, but I think the NBA is worse. Took place last night, almost two weeks after the finals. Why don't sports leagues do it a week or so after the season? Yeah, hockey did that, right? See, you need an event that gets everybody together. And the night before the Super Bowl, that's a good time to get everybody in town. But by the time we get to the night before the Super Bowl, nobody gives a shit anymore about the MVP. We're thinking about who's going to be the MVP of the Super Bowl, not who was the MVP of the regular season. So I was one of the ones who said there should be an awards show, but I don't think it should be the night before the Super Bowl. The problem is, how do you get everybody to show up to something that you hold, you know, the Wednesday night after the season ends or middle of the week at some point in January, especially when you have guys who are still playing and a lot of guys still playing. Because at least by the time we get to the night before the Super Bowl, it's been pared down to the last two teams. Let's see what else is going on here. C.J. Newman, do you think there's anything to the fact that Lamar Jackson has taken most of the first team reps in minicamp? I don't know that he took most of them. But I know he took enough to get me thinking that the Ravens are going to do everything they can to create an environment where Lamar Jackson gets a chance to get comfortable. Get him on the field with Joe Flacco. And if Flacco gets injured, if the Ravens struggle, if Jackson just blows people away, the thing that keeps Flacco on the field, I think, is the team doing well. Reminds me of 1995 when Neil O'Donnell was the starter in Pittsburgh and they were using rookie Cordell Stewart in the slash package. If O'Donnell had stunk or if the team had stunk, I think at some point they would have put Cordell Stewart under center. And remember, it's an entertainment business. And Baltimore fans haven't been very entertained by the Ravens' offense. And they're trying to make the offense better. And I think they really wanted Lamar Jackson. They were thinking about taking him in the middle of the round. They ended up taking him at the bottom of the round, trading back. They're very happy with Lamar Jackson. And there could be a lot of people who regret not pouncing on him when they had the chance. Reverend Markworth, why does the NFL drag its heels so regularly on dealing with accusations against players? Do they hope things go away or do they like holding them over the players' heads for some other reason or some other reason? I think it's another reason. I just think it's it's a deadline-driven industry. It's a deadline-driven world, and there are no deadlines. The NFL doesn't have any deadline. They can take as much time as they want. So I think a lot of times you get over-analysis, you get paralysis, you take some time to think about it. Let's talk to this one last person. And because there isn't a ticking clock, things get delayed. Now, I think ideally they want to get these things wrapped up before the start of the season. They did that with Ezekiel Elliott last year. 
I think it's going to happen with Jameis Winston. I'd said that even before we found out Jameis Winston was facing a suspension. You don't want to let this linger. You want to either have it concluded with no suspension or you want to have the suspension implemented. But the fact that there's no deadline allows the NFL to take however much time it wants. Shake and Blake 95, which quarterback is on the hottest seat this season besides the obvious Joe Flacco? Let me pull out my handy-dandy NFL record and fact book. When I get a broad question like that, I like to look at the configuration of all 32 teams. Hot seat veteran, Ryan Tannehill, although David Fales is the backup option, I think Tannehill gets the full season. Some of these guys who have rookies behind them like Josh McCown, it's not a hot seat if you know it's inevitable you're going to get benched. A.J. McCarron in Buffalo. I don't know about Tyrod Taylor and Cleveland. They act like they want Baker Mayfield to play. Blake Bortles seems to be in a good spot with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hot seat quarterbacks. I think a lot of guys are in pretty good shape, right? Carson Wentz, Nick Foles is a different issue altogether. Eli Manning, who who plays if Eli Manning stinks it up? Yeah, I don't see beyond... Flacco and and Tannehill. Although, again, I don't think Tannehill gets the short hook during the season. I mean, Sam Bradford, if he's the starter, he's got to worry about Josh Rosen. So, I think you hit the nail on the head with Flacco. But again, anytime you got a first-round rookie, you got to at least think that the incumbent is feeling some heat. Paul PJ5, do you think the Madden people make the ratings so low to start the game so people rely on the roster updates every week? I don't know. I don't know. One thing that happens with Ultimate Team, though, there's a shitload of 99s that are available in the final couple of months of the life cycle of the Madden game. I think just to get people to keep playing. Because you've been waiting for those 99s for so long. And then you play online and you get the crap kicked out of you because everybody's got 99s all across the roster. The... Actual 99s for 2018. No, 2019. I always get that wrong. Madden 19. The 99 ratings will be unveiled on Wednesday. Oh, and I already know who they are. They're embargoed. We'll post them at PFT. I'm not surprised by them. But, and again, those are the base 99 ratings, and it will change throughout the season. And if you play Ultimate Team, it doesn't matter because they have like 20 different ratings. They'll have a they'll have a, a, a card for a guy who's a 65 and a 75 and an 85, and they, they, they do that with all the, the past players. They have the legends. They have the Ultimate Legends. It really is a just a multi-decade collection of players, and I still want the Chris Sims 99. I've been working on them to make a Chris Sims 99. Maybe they will. Recliner QB, if the Steelers and Le'Veon Bell are unable to reach a deal, would it benefit him to show up for training camp so he could be as ready as possible for his impending visit to free agency after the season? Yes and no. I've made the argument recently that if they don't do the deal by July 16, maybe there is a benefit to showing up and getting ready to go week one. But you know what? Does anybody think less of Le'Veon Bell because he wasn't great at the start of last season? No. So if you're ready to go and take a huge workload right out of the gates, are you increasing your opportunity to suffer the kind of injury that keeps you from getting paid next year? Yeah. And I think also, you know, if you are going to take an aggressive position in negotiation and you want 
the team to realize that you meant what you said. you got to stick to your principle. If you say, hey, we don't get a deal done by July 16, I ain't showing up until Labor Day. you got to follow through with it. Now, remember, there's always a chance that the Steelers would rescind the franchise tender before he signs it. Kevin Colbert, the team's GM, when he was with us at the league meetings, he said they wouldn't rule that out. They can't rule out anything. I remember last year thinking, hey, if James Conner, then rookie out of Pitt, great fan favorite, overcame cancer during his college career, if he comes out and does everything he needs to do, maybe they do rescind the tender in late August. Because I tell you what, Le'Veon Bell have a hard time getting paid $14.5 million for 2018 if he lands on the open market while all the other teams have the hay in the barn. For Kleiner QB, what would the lawyer reasons potentially be for Mark Garrigus delaying his re- reveal of a dramatic turn in the Kaepernick-Reed case for basically a month or more? Look, I, I don't know what the lawyer reasons would be. Here's the real, real world reasons. Whoever it was that was ready to dime out the NFL got cold feet. Maybe that's one of the reasons. Or maybe they strategically teased it a month in advance just to make people nervous. I don't know. But I remember saying at the time, this is an important development because either there will be a dramatic turn that causes us all to say, holy shit, or Mark Garrigus has written a check that he's not going to be able to honor. So now he's written a second check. We'll see if, if either one honors or if either one goes bouncing down the street. The Impact 99, are the Texans the favorite in the AFC South this year because of sheer talent? Do they have the most pressure because of that player group? I think they got to keep their guys healthy. That's the key. If they can keep their guys healthy, the sky's the limit. For the Texans. Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless, Jadavian Clowney, Tyron Matthew. Are you kidding me? But they have to keep those guys healthy. On paper, though, they should be pretty good. But will they be healthy? The C.J. Newman, Josh Rosen, or Sam Bradford for day one? I think it's going to be Josh Rosen. I don't think Sam Bradford can stay healthy enough to get to day one. If you mean day one of the regular season. On Tour Forever asks, why would the Steelers want to sign... Le'Veon Bell to a long-term contract. It doesn't make any kind of financial sense. Well, it all depends upon what you get him for. See, last year, it would have been easier to put together what's needed to get him signed to a long-term deal because, you know, for 2017, $12.1 million. For 2018, $14.5 million. There's your starting point. $26 million fully guaranteed right out of the gates. How much more does he want over top of that? Who knows? Now, this year, you got fourteen five. this year. Next year, what? Do you, how do you value next year? The franchise tag next year is quarterback money. So they're not going to give him 14.5 plus 25. They're not going to give him 39.5 million over two years, fully guaranteed. And because the Steelers, and the Steelers love their rules, they set up their own rules. They don't do any full guarantees beyond the first year of the contract. They won't renegotiate non-quarterback deals with more than a year left on them. They won't negotiate once the season starts. Well, with Le'Veon Bell, they won't be able to at all. As of July 16, the window closes forever. But they need to ask themselves, what does it take to get him to sign? Are we willing to pay that and have this guy long-term, or are we willing to take him for one more year, chew him up, spit him out, and let someone else take him next year? That's the decision they have to make, strategically and philosophically. At The Real Forno, you mentioned whenever people ask about the NFL making marijuana legal, the NFLPA would have to give up something, assuming it does become reality. What do you foresee the owners wanting in return, maybe an 18-game regular season? I don't know what the owners would want. Again, the NFLPA is not giving anything up for it because most players are smart enough to know how to avoid 
a positive test. And those who end up in the gears of the substance abuse policy and program, they're able to choose football over that substance. And the ones who can't, the ones who end up being suspended for a year, they they deserve what they get. That's the the attitude, I think. And that's why players generally aren't going to give up anything to get the permission to do something that any player who is smart can already do. At Tree True, did Joe Banner get a Super Bowl ring? I doubt that Joe Banner got a Super Bowl ring. There's plenty of friction between him and the Eagles. Although they are giving out plenty of Super Bowl rings. I saw that Ron Jaworski got one, and apparently Jaworski has a job with the team. The way that Ed Werder's tweet read, it felt more gratuitous than perfunctory. But they gave John Dorobos a ring. He doesn't play for them anymore. He gave, They gave the executive assistant to Chip Kelly, to the head coach, fired by Chip Kelly, a ring. They're giving a lot of these rings out. At some point, doesn't it cheapen it? If you're a player, if you're somebody who actually was involved and they're giving out these rings left and right, at some point, don't you say, hey, man, what the hell? I thought this was a big deal to get a ring. So, I doubt that Joe Banner's getting a ring. I, I doubt it. And... If he had gotten one, we probably would have heard something about it by now. One more before we go. Oh, my God, it's been an hour. This is supposed to be the slow time. On tour forever. At what point do you think we'll go to an 18-week NFL season with two buys for each team? Seems as much of a no-brainer as allowing all 53 players to suit up each week. Remember, they did that in 1993. I think it was just 93. Two buys, 18-week season. I still think the NFL at some point is going to try to get an 18-game regular season. Not 18 weeks, 18 games. I still think that's coming. And I think gambling creates an even greater incentive to do it. But it's the players who have to come forward and say, we'll do this, here's what we want in return. We want more rosters, we want more game day players. And don't rule out the possibility of a rule that would have 18 regular season games, but a limit for each player of 16 regular season appearances. Don't rule that out. That's been percolating for the past few years quietly, but it's there. And don't be shocked if it happens. At Danes Larry, would you use social media if you weren't in this industry? Probably not. Probably not. I don't know. Probably not. I don't use Facebook much at all. I don't know why I even have an account. And PFT doesn't really do all that much with Facebook. Twitter's become our thing. It just fits our, it just fits us. So Instagram, we got a couple thousand followers. I use that for fun. Twitter's been the way that we've really helped get the word out. I don't know that I'd be involved with Twitter if we if we weren't in this business, but uh, there's no way of knowing. Here's one thing I know. This is it for today's edition of the PFTPM podcast. We hope to have Amy Trask tomorrow on the PFTPM podcast. Thursday, Peter King. Friday, Florio Jr. as we wrap up the week. He's his second appearance he said he'll do it on fridays we'll see we'll see if i can get him for number two and we'll see if we can get him beyond that for now check us out at profootballtalk.com thanks for some of your time we'll do this again tomorrow you can find the pftpm podcast on art 19 apple podcast stitcher and google play if you like what you hear and you will subscribe for automatic downloads leave a rating and review that'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts search pftpm for your evening update from pro football talk